This is the Steelers Standard on Steelers Nation Radio and Podcast on Steelers.com. Tom Offerman and Jacob Recht breaking down the matchup between the Steelers and the Raiders this Sunday at Heinz Field here on the Steelers Standard. And on our previous episode, we were talking a lot about the Raiders offense and, you know, who you have to worry about. It was a lot of Darren Waller and a little bit of Josh Jacobs. But what we didn't get into was Derek Carr, number four, the quarterback. And I think he's one of the most underrated quarterbacks in football. Excuse me. Uh, guy improves year after year. He's thrown the ball down the field more than he ever has. Last year, he averaged 8.4 yards down the field per attempt. That's the highest in his career. He had career highs in passing yards last year. He had career highs in passer rating last year. So even though the Raiders did not make the playoffs in the COVID 2020 season, he had one of his best seasons, no doubt about it. Like I said, guy that flies under the radar a lot, but a guy that can certainly beat you if you give him the chance to do so. Uh, really a, a tale of two halves for Derek Carr in the Monday night football mm-hmm. game against the Ravens. He was not that great on the first half. Second half, he in overtime, he absolutely exploded. Had over 300 yards in that second half in overtime period to finish with 435 passing yards. The most passing yards of any quarterback in the NFL on week one. And I know that they are missing... Marcus Peters on that Ravens defensive secondary, but that's still a pretty good secondary despite his absence. And Carr was able to light them up in that second half and that overtime period. So Derek Carr's a guy that can hurt you. No question about that. And honestly, the best way to go about neutralizing him is getting that pressure on him again, because he's not immobile, but he's not Josh Allen mobile. He's not, you know, Marcus Mariota mobile. You the can guy. get to him a lot easier yeah. and they're without Marcus Mariota. I was going to say that. that. That's big for the Steelers. They don't have to worry about that package. Mariota ripped off a nice 30-yard run against the Ravens. But it came at the cost of missing eight weeks. <laughs> and now he's out. So, nice little wrinkle that the Raiders were going to use all year long that they can't for at least half the season now. Steelers get lucky there. But yeah, you can get Derek Carr very uncomfortable and you can trap him in that pocket and he's not going to have the escapability like a Josh Allen does but I mean I, I think the best way to beat him if you're any team is to that pass rush and that pressure in his face but obviously if you're the Steelers that's your MO so I think it's perfect combination yeah let's let's pin our ears back and really get after this guy and I think if you can do it with just four for the majority of the time like they did for the most part against the Bills he's going to be in a lot of trouble because yeah, he can pick apart a defense if he's got time back there. Mm-hmm. But if it's four guys only and he doesn't have any time and there's uh, uh, everybody else is back in coverage, seven guys are back in coverage. He's that, going down. That's, that's, he's either going down or he's not going to find many people open or he's going to throw an interception and make a mistake. So I like Derek Carr, but I think he can definitely be had. I think so too. And let's keep in mind, yes, the, the Ravens lost Marcus Peters to an injury, but they lost – Two of their best defenders, in addition, Matt Judon and Yannick Ngakwe, in the offseason due to free agency. So they weren't just down one piece. They were down by multiple pieces that they had last year, of which they were an elite defense. I'd say a top 10 defense last year with all those guys healthy and rostered. But without people that they lost to free agency and without Marcus Peters, who suffered that season-ending injury just a week ago in training camp, it's not going to be easy for the Ravens to kind of recreate that defense that they had just last year. And I think, as we've said many times before, the Steelers kind of went the opposite direction than the Ravens did. I think they improved defensively this year, despite being 
also a top 10, if not top 5, if not top 3 defensive unit overall last year. Somehow I think they're even better this year. And that's without the play of Stefan Tua, without his help. I think if Stefan Tua is in this game, we're, we're a lot less cynical about this game than we are right now. If, if Stefan Tua is there, if this defense is at full throttle, we're saying there's no way Derek Carr and company, even if they have Darren Waller and Josh Jacobs, doesn't matter who, who's calling plays for them. No one is beating this defense, especially not Derek Carr and the Raiders. However, Stephon Tewitt is unavailable, so I think that's why we're a little more hesitant to say Derek Carr has the ability to beat you. However, you're a lot more confident in your ability to kind of slow him down than you were uh, in your ability to stop Josh Allen. But you did that last week, so you should have confidence in doing it again. That Monday night football game between the Raiders and the Raiders Ravens and the Raiders, I I think had the two worst right tackles I've ever seen in football Horrible. playing against each other. Big Hor- Al, are for you gonna the get Ravens. it right today? I'm getting it right today. Okay. Big Al against the Ravens, or Big Al for the Ravens. You and did it again, Alex. You stopped me. It was your fault. You you made me doubt it. Alex Leatherwood for the Raiders. You'll see Leatherwood this week at Heinz Field. I don't know if you'll be lucky enough to see Big Al come December time when the Ravens come to town. I think they might wise up and find somebody else to play tackle for them. Although I just saw their right tackle or their left tackle went down and now Big Al's got to slide back to the left side where Lamar's blind spot is. So maybe even if they don't want to go with Big Al, they're going to be forced to. They're going to be forced to. But we're going to focus on Leatherwood here since he's coming into town this week. TJ Watt versus Alex Leatherwood is the matchup to watch. Alex Leatherwood was getting his ass beat by the Ravens pass rushers in the game against the Ravens on Monday night, and they're not even close to the level of a T.J. Watt. So I would be salivating if I was number 90. I would be having a lot of fun at practice this week knowing who you're going to be going up against for the majority of your snaps. And look, the guy's just not ready to play at this level yet, and he was a questionable first-round pick when the Raiders took him uh, this past draft. He earned the starting spot at right tackle for them, and he's just been a turnstile, at least in the one game that they played so far. So looks like the scouts who had their doubts about Leatherwood were right, at least for the for the beginning of his career. And I think T.J. Watt's going to have a feast on Sunday. And, and, and beyond T.J. Watt, whoever they line up over Alex Leatherwood is just going to have their way with him. And, and that's where I think Derek Carr is going to have a lot of trouble. He's going to have to read who's coming off of that side. He's going to have to shift protections over to help Leatherwood a lot. And you really can't shift protections against the Steelers that much because if you pay too much attention to one side, then the other side is just as good. And Ingram or Highsmith or Hayward, they're going to come and get you from then. So it's a matchup nightmare for the Raiders as far as that O-line versus D-line. And and you can say that about a lot of teams, but I think the Raiders are really at the top of that list with – they do not want to see a defensive line as prolific and as dynamic as this one. I think so, too. Uh, and I think that not necessarily you'll see the game be broken by sacks, but as you said, Tom, that pressure's going to come and Derek Carr is going to be forced to throw some balls he doesn't want to. And with as talented of an inside linebacker core between Schobert and Devin Bush and a secondary led by Minka Fitzpatrick, I think this could be... The first time you see an interception turned up, created by the Steelers defense, and it has nothing. It has just as much to do with the guys up front as it as it does with the guys who are going to be forcing that turnover because of that pressure created by the combination of TJ or Cam or Melvin or Highsmith. It doesn't matter where it's coming from. It's going to come, and that's 
going to be created by that mismatch. I love what the Steelers did by, you know, lining Melvin Ingram up on the inside, mm-hmm. come bringing that pressure from the inside. You saw TJ line up on the inside sometimes too. The more you can confuse an inexperienced offensive line, the better. The one little caveat to that, though, is, yeah, they're an inexperienced offensive line, but you're probably not going to confuse number four. So that's the one thing the Raiders have going for them. He might be able to call out protection changes. The execution is the part that you have to wonder if they'll be able to, you know, actually go out there and do what Carr is calling out to them. But, you know, as far as, you know, tricking Derek Carr with coverages, tricking him with blitzes, you can do it, obviously. You can do it to any quarterback in the league, but he's been around the block many a time now. He's going to be pretty aware of, okay, Ingram's in the middle. I need to shift my protection this way. I'm going to keep this sidecar. Kenyon Drake, you were supposed to run a wheel route, but now you're going to stay in and protect me now. So he's good at recognizing that stuff, but I, I think the execution is what could be lacking for that Raiders offensive line. Yeah, easily, and that's got to be super frustrating for, him, for Derek yeah. Carr because, as you said, he's going to be able to figure it out no matter the, no matter the formations you see out of the defense – by the Steelers, it's just can he communicate it well enough to his offensive line? Will their preparation throughout this week uh, at practice be enough for Derek Carr come game day to say, "Hey, look, you know, this is what we saw them do." Whatever the call is uh, when he's out there in the huddle or when he's out there at the line of scrimmage, whatever, whatever the um, this this the uh, the the key word is will the offensive line be able to recognize that that hockey and say okay we have to make our adjustment here and then whether or not they're able to recognize it say they do will they actually be able to protect properly against it so there are multiple steps to this process and i just don't think the experience is there and the talent is there in order to make up for that mismatch Let's flip over to the offensive side of the ball. I think the Steelers have a huge advantage defense versus offense. Obviously, they will pretty much every week they go into a stadium except Arrowhead later in the season. But Maybe Green Bay in, in week three or week four. Jerry's sorry. out, though. We'll see how he looks on Monday night, okay. and then we'll, we'll talk about that. But the, I think the jury's still a little bit out on Green Bay right now. Uh, looking at the Steelers' offense versus the Raiders, we mentioned on an episode earlier this week, Jacob, I'd love to see the tight ends get more involved, baby. Middle of the field, I think the Raiders' linebacker court, it's a weak defense overall other than the pass rush probably this year. But, you know, I, I don't think those linebackers are anything to write home about. Let's tight end Fiesta in the middle of the field. Well, the injury report came out yesterday, and unfortunately Eric Ebron did not practice with a hamstring injury. Uh, Won't know until today's practice what his status is going to be, but not looking good when you have a do not practice this late in the week. The only other person that was on the report that did not practice was Carlos Davis with a knee. Ben Roethlisberger and Juju, who had veteran days off on Wednesday, were back as full practice participants yesterday, and Robert Spillane was back to a full participant after being limited on Wednesday. So those three guys, good to go. You knew Juju and Ben would be anyway. Spillane coming back. Carlos Davis and Eric Ebron are a bit question marks. Davis was actually limited on Wednesday and downgraded to not practicing on Thursday, so that's not good. They can get by without Carlos Davis. He played okay in some spot duty on Sunday, but the Eric Ebron one, that's one that concerns me a little bit because, yeah, 
We talked about, oh, I want Pat Frymuth to be that tight end 1A, and I think he should be, but I need I want both of them. I need the two-fiddle two fiddle mm-hmm. rotation in the tight end spot. If they're missing either one, it's a problem. I think Pat Frymuth can have some of his best games when he's out there alongside Eric Ebron. But not with just Frymuth. It's, I mean, we'll, it's we'll a see. tougher thing to do. We'll see because we haven't seen it yet. We don't know exactly what Pat Frymuth can do going out there solo as the only tight end option or a legitimate option because I think even if you don't have Eric Ebron available to you, you're still going to see a lot of Zach Gentry out there. You, you won't see him as, an, as, as a legitimate threat or, or a legitimate option for Ben. Right. But just to keep those two tight end schemes available to you, I think you're going to see a lot more of Zach Gentry if Ebron doesn't play on Sunday. And the beautiful thing about Gentry is... He... However, that still does leave Frymuth as the, the, the totem option at tight end. Defenses aren't going to say, well, they're going to throw the ball to Gentry here. They know it's only going to go to Frymuth if both of them are out there. But the one thing Gentry do- does do is that guy, I mean, what was the the big positive about his offseason? This dude bulked up. This dude got beefy. So if you do have to go with Gentry and Frymuth, I don't think it hurts your running game that much because I think you got two tight ends in there that are, are willing to block. In fact, I think you've got Gentry in there who's even more willing to block. Yeah. Than Eric Ebron, but yeah, this Ebron thing—it's got me a little bit concerned. I don't want to say that I'm, you know, panicking because we'll see how he does today. Maybe he does uh, play in the game on Sunday. But I don't think it could cost them the game. It, I don't think it can either. But it's just a nice wrinkle that I thought they would be able to use to exploit that Raiders defense that might not be available to them anymore if he's stuck on the sidelines. Like you said, I think you get your best out of Fryermuth when he's got 85 opposite of him taking some coverage away. Totally fair. The Steelers should be able to run the ball against this Las Vegas, I almost said Oakland, Raiders team. (laughs) And, you know, Najee Harris, I don't want to say he disappointed in his week one debut against the Bills. There just wasn't really any room for him to run, especially in that first half. Started to get the feet under him a little bit in the second half. And, you know, it's interesting. If you want to give a little listen to the Asked and Answered podcast that I did with Labs this week, Bob Labriola uh, of Steelers.com, he went through a list of Hall of Fame running backs and how they did in their first uh, game action in the NFL. And some of the things will surprise you. And the two that really stuck out to me that I remembered, Emmett Smith had two carries for two yards in his first game ever in the NFL. Walter Payton, I don't know if you've ever heard of Walter Payton or not. It rings a bell, right? Was Are you talking about Gary Payton for the Seattle Supersonics? No, I think it was his cousin. Uh, Walter Payton for the Chicago Bears eight carries zero yards Jeez. we're talking about maybe one of the best running backs of all time both of those guys smith and payton so labs's point was it takes a little time for these guys to get you know their feet wet and their 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 nfl legs under them but Najee harris should be able to have a nice day against these raiders last year the raiders surrendered an average of 5.1 yards per carry on the ground when teams had three or more wide receivers on the field so you don't even need to go jumbo to run right. against these guys. You can have your spread, your four wide out, your three wide out, and you still should have success running the ball against this football team. So I think it could be a big day for Najee Harris. I think you, you got to kind of put in the mouthwash and wash that bad taste of week one mm-hmm. out of your mouth because I think he's going to have a real nice performance. In fact, I will make the prediction that he will have 100 total yards of offense in this game against mm. the Raiders. I, I hope you're right, Tom, and I think it could come – in this week two game because it's not easy, you know. Not everyone is is, is going to say 
I'm I'm going to be this best running back and it's going to be on exhibit week one, I think it does take some time. And let's be honest, the Bills had a, a much better defense overall than the Raiders do coming up this week. So I do think that Najee Harris can uh, can get his, can get that 100 yards from scrimmage, not necessarily all on the ground or all in the passing game. Um and I think you're going to see a lot of adjustments made from the week one game. You certainly saw week one adjustments or adjustments being made from the first half to the second half because he only had seven carries for eight yards uh, in the first half, and you do not see that. I think he averaged a five-yard per carry uh, average in the second half, which is a great thing to see considering you think what that's an average of, what, one point, like one five yards per carry in the first half? Yeah, it was bad. That, that was certainly not ideal. That certainly made a lot of Steelers fans get a little nervous and and, and start to think, uh oh, the storylines after week one were gonna be we told you, we tried to tell you, you know you never take a running back in the first round. Neither those linemen. Can't However, run without the linemen. I think you're gonna see the same adjustments you saw from half number one to half number two kind of extrapolated from week one to week two for Najee. Here's a little just, you know, fun fact. They're doing stardom yeah, okay. sit him on NFL Network right now. Najee was their number three running back to start. And on the other side of the things, Josh Jacob was their number four running back to sit. So the NFL How Network. How is Josh Jacobs not their number one to sit? So they're number, uh, so they're saying sit Jacobs. They're saying start Najee. So the NFL Network experts are kind of simpatico with us that the Steelers should be a decent job of stopping the run, taking Jacobs out of the game. But Najee is going to have a big game. Is he going to play every single snap on Sunday? Because that was one thing that I was a little concerned about. I will happily forfeit 100% of the snaps. Yes. Just see that number go down, and that means his carries can go up. And and his touches can go up overall. And I'm a big fan, even though they're kind of similar and they don't really bring any change of pace, I'm a big fan of just seeing what Kalen Balaj can do. You know, I'm just like, maybe he has some success on some runs and he gets a nice game of like five yards for 30 yards on the five carries for 30 yards on the ground. You know, maybe that's a nice little compliment to Najee, but look, I know Tomlin loves to run running backs into the ground. That's his, his strategy with Le'Veon Bell. It was the wheels are going to fall off before I take you out of this game. I mean, look, Garrett Blunt walked off the field because of his strategy. Uh, he, he would supplement <laughs> D'Angelo Williams. Yeah. Quit the team would supplement D'Angelo Williams every once in a while, but it was the Le'Veon Bell show, and I think it's going to be the Najee Harris show in Tomlin's mind again, but I'm begging you, Mike, because I know you're listening to us right now. You're the number one Steelers standard fan out there. Mm-hmm. Please just ease off on it in the rookie season. Let him get acclimated to this league 80% of the snaps his rookie year, and then you know, after he goes through this season very successfully, I might add, has that full off season, knows what it's like to play a 17-game plus schedule as a professional then in the second year you run the wheels off. Then you go 100% of the snaps on offense. But for the love of God, his rookie season, please don't burn this guy out because I really think you're playing with fire if you just throw a running back out there and say, it's your ball 100% of the time, you're the workhorse. Until the wheels fall off of you, you will be playing every single snap for this offense. I I think that that is just not a good strategy to go about this. I think you need to supplement him a little bit with the Snells and the Bellages and the Anthony Mm -hmm. McFarlands once he becomes healthy. Right. I think that last point you made, the return of Tony Mack, I think he'll be eligible to come back in week four. Packers game, I think, is where they're targeting him. So week three. So that's, oh, right, because it was was during that week between the last preseason game and week one. So he got that extra week to recover. 
If Tony Mack can come back by week three, I think you're, week going, four. you're going to. It's week four. It's week four. They play the Bengals. Damn right it, there. Tom. Damn yeah. it. The I Packers game up. is week four. Right. Okay. You were right the first time. I was. You corrected yourself to well, be wrong. Well, I kept wrong. thinking that the Packers game was week three. That's no. my bad. I keep forgetting about those so you pesky got the Bengals. Ra- you got the Raiders and the Bengals without Tony Mack. And I think you could survive the Bengals game. It's certainly at And home. the Raiders game, yeah. Yeah, I know. I'm just looking forward without Tony Mack. But once you get him back there, I think you will start to see that 100% of the snap count go down. Again, I don't want it to see go way down like you kind of saw like a, a running back by committee. And that's certainly not the strategy Mike Tomlin wants to roll with. But you just won't see 100% of the snaps. I, n- no one was expecting to see 100% of the snaps in week one. Even when you had guys like Hillen Balaj and Benny Snell available to you, guys you weren't necessarily comfortable going as your change of pace backs, but still you could have thrown them out there for a couple of tries. Certainly when Najee Harris was struggling in that first half, you could have just said, okay, just on this play, let's let's see what we can get out of Kalen or, or Benny. But I think now moving forward, Mike can learn from that. Ho- at least hopefully he can learn from that. Let's not run the wheels off of Najee as early as we possibly can. And that's certainly something you could do if you go out there, give him 100% of the snaps in two consecutive weeks to start his career. Well, the Raiders' injury report is riddled with men. Uh, I mean, not all of them are actually injured. There were a lot of full participants. They're just working their way back from injuries. But as far as stopping the Steelers' running attack goes, they lost their defensive tackle, Gerald McCoy, for the year. Knee injury. Mm -hmm. He's out. Carl Nassib, he's limited in practice on Thursday. So he's working his way back after a pec-slash-toe injury, but expect Nassif to play. Yannick Ngakwe was limited with a hamstring injury. His status is still up in the air. Clellan Farrell, who you did not see in the Monday night game, is a full participant with a back injury, so you'll expect the number one pick out of Clemson just a year ago to be playing in this game. But that being said, they're injured other than Max Crosby up on that defensive line. That bodes well for the Steelers, especially with a guy like Gerald McCoy being out for the year. That's a that's an anchor-in-the-middle type of player. That's a Cam Hayward kind of guy that can really stuff things up in the middle, and he is not going to be available this week or any week in the 2021 season for the Vegas Raiders. And Again, that Ngakwe being limited, even if he does play, probably won't be at 100%. Probably mm-hmm. say the same thing about Carl Nassib as well. So it's really Max Crosby and a MASH unit that is going to try to neutralize right. the Steelers' rushing attack, and that bodes well for the Steelers. It absolutely does. I don't know. The, I don't want to say that jury's still out on Max Crosby. I think he put himself on the map. You think we're going a little game. too excited because of a great week one? I don't know about that. I think... It was much deserved. I think this guy is going to be a, a top defender in this league. Let's remember he was going up against one of the worst tackles in That's football. That's a, a very good point. But let's Tom. also remember Chooks ain't nothing to write home about either. So, Tom, look at you. Good point after good point. I can't even get a word out because you just keep making great points that complement each other, even though that they're going against each other. You're just giving everything from both sides here. I do think, though, that the injuries are going to be too much for the Raiders to overcome. I said on a previous episode, if uh, Ngakwe and if they had um, J.L. McCoy for the entire season, obviously he's out now. I said that could have been one of the best defensive lines uh, in the NFL if fully healthy. However, we know now J.L. McCoy will not be there. And it's kind of just uh, Max Crosby who's, who you're left with. And I do think that even though the mismatch is going to be there between Crosby and Chooks, it's not going to be enough for this Raiders offense to be or Raiders defense to be a problem for the Steelers offense. 
Ben Roethlisberger averaged the fastest release time of any quarterback in week one, 2.3 seconds until the ball was out of his hands. That sounds very familiar to 2020. Look, the Raiders have one of the worst pass rushes in Gruden's tenure. They have the least amount of sacks in the past three years in the NFL, but that is something they have committed to improving this year. Max Crosby at the forefront of that, and so far, so good. Two sacks from Crosby. Carl Nassib had a strip sack. They were really getting in Lamar Jackson's face on Monday Night Football. So week one, you can check that box off that the pass rush has been improved. Uh, that's what they're going to come at the Steelers with. And I know Steelers Nation that you want to see Ben throw that ball down the field. You want to start seeing him hold on to it for maybe mm-hmm. .4, .5 seconds longer, let a route develop a little bit more for them to you know get that ball pushed downfield, make some big plays. But maybe hold off on that this week. I think the best way to go about beating this Raiders pass rush is those quick releases and letting you know taking advantage of a not great secondary and a not mm-hmm. great linebacking core. I think a lot of... You know, five-yard routes, 10-yard routes, intermediate stuff can get the job done this week. I I feel like I'm falling into that same trap as last year, though. Trust me, I don't want to. Whenever there's another team that comes to town that's pass rush probably isn't as good, I think you can hold on to the ball a little bit longer. But, you know, with Chooks still being a question mark, Max Crosby going up against him for the most part, and and really the line in general being a question mark still, I think you got to go with that quick passing game again. And I, I don't think that that's something that, you know, will hinder your ability to beat the Raiders. It might hinder your ability to beat some other teams that are more skilled in that linebacking room and that secondary. But with the Raiders, I think you can you can death by a thousand paper cut your way down the field and, and still be very successful as an offense. And, and that's just to say even if the running game's not working, they could just be dominating on the ground all game long. Yeah, I, I'm looking at the guys available for the Raiders who will be healthy come this Week 2 matchup. And I think based off of the guys they have available in their secondary and their middle-of-the-field linebackers, I, I don't know if I've ever seen a worse linebacking core than on the Raiders team right well, now. Well, I know they went out and got K.J. Wright. Well, that's the thing. They were so bad in-house, they had to make a signing at the very last minute. K.J. Wright, good signing. I mean, probably if the Steelers didn't get uh, Melvin, sorry, Joe Schobert, they could have opted to get K.J. Wright, but K.J. Wright hasn't had as much success recently as Joe Schobert had. Schobert's or right success came early when he was with the Legion of Doom or Legion of Boom, whatever you want to call it in Seattle. But just going down and listen names. Divine Diablo. Nick Kwiatkowski. That's a hell of a name. Divine Diablo. Yeah, that's awesome. The juxtaposition between those two. Divine and Diablo. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh Denzel Perryman and then Corey Littleton, the only one to make a Pro Bowl of that group, but that came three years ago, Tom. I mean I think the writing is on the wall here. Even though you want to see Ben make that deep ball attack, the 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 guys who are going to be attacking or guarding the middle of the field for the Raiders are just so much more susceptible to big plays to leave guys open who could then extend the play with Yak. So I think the 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 middle to uh shorter passes are kind of the recipe for success here this week. Quickly, who do you think will be the number one targeted wide receiver this week? I got Deontay again. Um, because of what I said, the short intermediate passes are going to be there all game yeah, long. Yeah, I could see it either being Deontay or Juju. I'm going to go Juju this week. Chase Claypool will have a big play, though? Yeah, absolutely. That's the, guy, prob- the guy will go, I think, almost every week with a big play. That's going to be the MO, I think. I think Chase is the number one wide receiver, you know, just 
prototypically looks that part, makes big plays like that combat catcher. I think for the most part, you'll be flopping between Deontay and Juju as the most targeted guys. Chase Claypool will be the impact receiver, though. Mm-hmm. He'll be the guy that has the you know three catches, but those three catches get you 90 yards I or agree. something like that. That's going to do it for this episode of the Steelers Standard. Thanks for listening, as always. Steelers versus the Raiders at Heinz Field, 1 p.m. for the home opener. Uh, very exciting matchup between two uh, historic rivals. Raiders have the all-time series lead 13-10 to against the Pittsburgh Steelers. So Steelers got some work to do, and they got to start doing it this Sunday to catch up in that all-time series. But like I said, that's going to do it for this episode. Thanks as always for listening. If you want to check out some of our older stuff, go to Steelers.com. You can find us there at Apple, Spotify, really wherever you get your podcasts. Give the Steelers standard a listen. We always appreciate that. For Jacob Recht, I am Tom Opferman. We'll talk to you on our next episode right here on Steelers Nation Radio.